0: This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay Voices on Air. Good day to one and all. This is Dexter. How are you doing? We had the 17th of March this month at St. Patrick's Day. It might not be St. Patrick's Day today, but it was, is, was on the 17th, yes, Celebration, it's an interesting one. St. Patrick, there's an interesting man. He was an English saint, yes. But nevertheless, St. Patrick's Day on the 17th of March. There's a lovely piece of research for those who like to do those sort of things. Tess, it's good, yes. But first of all, after all that on kidnappers kids with your pal Dexter, it seems really appropriate that we have Woody Woodpecker in mixed-up land. To be sure, to be sure, to be
1: sure.
2: Well, it's spring again, and all the birds are returning from the south. And there's one bird in particular we're waiting for, and here he is now. That little mischievous red-headed screwball, Woody Woodpecker.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Boy, am I glad to be back to the tall timber. These trees sure look good after nothing but palm trees all winter long. Boy, oh boy. Trees, 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 I'm nutsy cuckoo about them. Trees, 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 I simply can't do without them. I peck on the big ones, I peck on the small. The thin ones, the fat ones, I peck on them all. I peck them in summer and winter and fall. Cause I'm just crazy about trees. (laughs) Say, I wonder what that funny looking black funnel shaped cloud is. It's spinning like a top. I'll fly over and take a look at it.
2: Uh Uh-oh, that spinning cloud is a tornado, and little Woody is flying right into it.
1: Hey, I'm going into a tailspin. I can't fly. I'm whirling around like a sock in a washing machine. I'm going up and up and around and around and around and around. Brother, am I glad that's over, whatever it was. Almost had all my pin feathers blown off. I must be hundreds of miles off my course. Gee, that country down there looks strange. Never saw that before. All the fields are all different bright colors. I think I'll peel off and fly down there and find out where I am. Fasten seatbelts, we're coming in for a landing. Hmm, that reminds me. I better get my brakes relined. Hey, I wonder where I am. Ah, there's a sign over there. Welcome to Mixed-Up Land. <laughs> Mixed-Up Land? I'll say it is. Gosh, there's a house over there with a front door in the roof. And the steps to the front door go up an apple tree. And the apple tree has bananas growing on it. Gee, one of the bananas dropped on that cow's head. Woof, mm-hmm. Like a dog. See, <laughs> here comes a man and he's wearing his shoes on his hands and his mittens on his feet.
2: Hello, 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 there, Peckerwood bird.
1: <laughs> I'm the
2: crazy mixed-up mayor of this crazy mixed-up land. I think I'll take my shoes off and shake you by the hand. <laughs>
1: Say, you are mixed up, wearing shoes on your hands and mittens on your feet. Say, Mr. Mayor, how did you mixed up people in mixed up land ever get so mixed up?
2: Oh, it isn't easy. Uh, You have to go to mixed up school for that. Uh, Come on, I'll take you there and you can see how it's done. (laughs) Well, here we are at mixed up school.
1: Gee, you got a lot of kids here. Shh,
2: they're going to recite. Now you'll see how mixed up they really are.
1: A nursery rhyme. Mary had a little goat to fetch a pail of water, and when the pie was open, Jack and Jill came tumbling down. Gosh, that's about as mixed up as you can get.
2: Yes, she's about one of our best students. Shh, here's another bright one.
3: Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, eating his curds and whey. He stuck in his
1: thumb and pulled out a plum, and the cow jumped over the moon. Well, Mayor, you've certainly got a great bunch of mixed-up kids here. Oh, thank you. And now we
2: must leave, or we'll be late for the celebration in your honor at the city hall. Come along. (laughs) For he's a fellow good jolly, For he's a fellow good jolly, For he's a fellow good jolly, Pecky the Peckerwood Bird sing for our guest our national mixed up land song we're the mixed up people of mixed up land we don't know short from long we always stand up on our heads when we sing this mixed up song we have supper in the morning and breakfast every night we tip our hats to dogs and cats and when we're wrong we're right
1: Gee, that was swell, fellas, but I really must be going. Going? Gosh, I'm getting as mixed up as you guys. I don't even know how I got here, much less how I'm going to get home.
2: Now, don't worry your little peckerwood head about it. (laughs) There's a balloon outside that'll take you anywhere you want to go. Come on.
1: Hey, that's a swell balloon. I'll climb right into the basket. Hey, what are you doing? You're letting all the gas out of the balloon. A balloon can't go up without gas in it. In Mixed-Up Land, it can. <laughs> Gosh, that's ridiculous. A balloon can't. Hey, it is going up. And up, I'm on my way home. Well, I learned one thing in Mixed-Up Land. What seemed topsy-turvy to me was turvy-topsy to them. <laughs> yeah.
0: Tis the delights of kidnappers' kids, that is most certain. And next up, Dexter, myself, to you, I will read another poem from the world of Christopher Robin. Yes, indeed. And this poem is called The Morning Walk. Are you sitting comfortably? Yes, indeed, you are. Very good. Thank you. When Anna and I go out for a walk, we hold each other's hand and talk. Of things we mean to do when Anne and I are 42. And when we've thought about a thing like bowling hoops or bicycling or falling down on Anne's balloon, we do it in the afternoon. And, my goodness, that was it. Yes, That was a very nice little short poem. Thank you very much. And up next... On Kidnapper's Kids, there's another story, and then the further adventures of Happy the Caterpillar. But this story up next is The Snow Goose.
3: tell of the snow goose, all that know of her. But what they tell is only a little of the story. I know the truth because I saw that mighty bird, sore calm and unafraid, straight toward the leaden death and blanketing smoke of Dunkirk. But that was before the sea had claimed its own, and the great white bird that saw it all from the beginning to the end had returned to the silences of the Northland whence it came. It is not a story that falls easily and smoothly into sequence. And some of it comes in the form of fragments from men who looked upon strange and violent scenes. There you are, lads. Here's your drinks. It
4: was a goose, a blooming goose, so help me. God, I don't believe it. A goose it was. Jockey has same as me.
3: Men of all kinds and from every station,
5: run across that queer sort of legend about a wild goose it was all up and down the beaches you know how those things spring up a wild goose no but i saw a tame one a strange experience under the circumstances a dash queer thing to see odd that you should mention a goose i suppose some people might say it was a legend legend no gentlemen it wasn't a legend it wasn't really just a goose, either. Have you ever seen a snow goose? Have you ever looked up into the deepest blue of the heavens with your eyes training to penetrate distance itself? Have you ever seen suddenly a black speck coming toward you? A speck that in the space of seconds is transformed into a black-and-white pinioned dream? A rush of white wings, black-tipped, a thrust-forward head a strong, graceful body like a great white sail in full flight. I have seen that gentleman. I have known a snow goose well. My name is Philip Ryder. I am not accustomed to speaking my mind, as I'm afraid that I have lived away from the world too long to be articulate. But I cannot have it said that the Snow Goose is a legend. So if you will bear with me, here is the story. By my own choice, I left the world of human society in the late spring of 1930. There were reasons for this choice of mine, among them the strange misshapen body which god had given me for i must have been a frightening apparition indeed i bought an old abandoned lighthouse at the mouth of the elder and the acres of marshland and salting which surrounded it i wanted only to be left to my painting and to have as little contact with the world as possible i was drawn to my lighthouse not only because of its isolation but because of the hundreds of species of birds which migrated there every spring. One November afternoon, three years after I had come to the great marsh, I stood in my enclosure feeding the birds. looked along the seawall and saw a child, a little girl. She was no more than 12, slender, and nervous, timid as a bird, beautiful as a marsh fairy. She was pure Saxon, fair, deep-set, violet-coloured eyes, and desperately afraid. What is it, child? I... I... thought... I was... Come, child, don't be frightened. I won't hurt you. Come closer. What have you there?
3: Sir? it's a bird it's hurt it is it still alive
5: yes yes i think so come in child come in let's see what's the matter with it just hold it here for me on this table please don't be frightened
3: i found it in the marsh so where fathers have been what whatever kind of bird is it sir
5: it's a snow goose from canada but how in heaven came it here
3: You can heal it, sir, can't you?
5: Yes, I hope so. Anyway, we will try. Don't be afraid.
3: I'm not afraid. But I have never seen a bird like her before.
5: No, nor have I in any parts of the country close to here. She came to us from a very great distance.
3: Wherever did she come from, sir?
5: I'll tell you all I know of her. She was born in a northern land far across the seas. Oh! Every winter she flew to the south to escape the snow and ice and bitter cold... This year, a great storm must have seized her and whirled and buffeted her about. You can see how strong her wings are. Yes. But the storm was stronger. For days and nights it held her in its grip and there was nothing she could do but fly before it. Mm. When finally it had blown itself out, she dropped to rest in a friendly green marsh, only to be met by the blast from the hunter's gun. Oh. Yes. A bitter reception for a visiting princess. But it's not as bad as it might have been. In a few days, she'll be feeling much better. You and I will call her the princess. The last princess. Do you like that?
3: Oh, yes.
5: Now watch. See see if she won't eat something. Here is some grain. Put it in the palm of your hand and hold it out to her.
3: Hmm. Oh, oh, look. She's eating it. Her eyes are open. Oh, she's going to be all right. She feels much better. Oh, I... I'm going. I'm going. Goodbye.
5: Wait, wait.
3: Yes, sir?
5: What is your name, child? Ruth. Where do you live?
3: With the Fisherfolk at Wickledreth.
5: Will you come back tomorrow or the next day to see how the princess is getting along?
3: Yes, sir. Yes, I will. Goodbye, sir.
5: As she spoke, I thought of the wild water birds caught motionless in that split second of alarm before they take flight. Her instinctive fear of that strange, misshapen figure, which is myself, had been overcome by her deep concern for the injured bird. But when all looked well again, the child was caught once more by the sudden and full import of where she was, and in panic had fled from my side. The princess wasn't badly hurt and by midwinter was limping about the enclosure with the wild pink-footed geese Frith came often to see her and as her devotion to the bird grew her fear of me disappeared completely one June morning, a group of late pink feet answered the siren song of the breeding grounds and rose lazily into the sky in ever-widening circles. With them, her white body and black-tipped pinions shining in the spring sun, was the snow goose.
3: Look, The princess, is she going away?
5: Yes, the princess is going home. Look, Frith, she is bidding us farewell.
3: Well, I think I'd best be going home, too. Goodbye, sir.
5: No need for you to hurry, child. Sit and talk a bit.
3: No, sir. Thank you very much. I think I'd best be going home.
5: Goodbye, Frith. I learned all over again the meaning of the word loneliness. That summer, from memory... I painted a picture of a slender child, her fair hair blown by a November storm, who bore in her arms a wounded white bird. In mid-October, a miracle occurred. I was in my enclosure feeding the birds. A gray northeast wind was blowing, and the land was sighing beneath the incoming tide. Above the wind and sea, I heard a clear high note. I turned my eyes upward to the evening sky, barely in time to see a dream of black and white beauty come to earth in the pen and come waddling forward importantly as though she had never been away. There was no mistaking her. It was the snow goose. I did not even wait to think where she might have been but rushed to sail my little boat as fast as wind and wave would take me into Chelmbury and left a message with the postmistress. Good evening, Mr. Ryder. It's months since I've seen you. Yes, I have been away for some time. Would you mind delivering a message for me? Of course. I'll be glad to. Tell Frith, who lives with the fisherfolk at Wickledroth, that the lost princess has returned.
3: Tell who?
5: What? You know the little girl, Frith. Of course. Just tell her that the lost princess has returned. She'll understand. Oh. That winter started the parade of years, the happiest I have ever known. Time was marked by the height of the tides, the passage of the birds, and for Frith and me by the arrival and departure of the snow goose. The world was now boiling and seething and rumbling with the eruption that was soon to break forth. But it had not yet touched upon either Frith or myself. I taught her the law of every wild bird that flew the marshes. She cooked for me sometimes, and even learned to mix my paints. But every time the snow goose left us to return to its summer home, the barrier was again thrown up between us, and Frith would no longer come to the lighthouse. One year, the bird did not return at all, and life seemed to have ended for me. But the following autumn, the familiar cry rang once more from above and the huge white bird came out of the skies as mysteriously as it had departed. It was more than a month, however, before Frith reappeared at the lighthouse. When I saw her, I realized with a shock that she was a child no longer. She had grown tall, slender, and hauntingly beautiful... As I looked at her, I felt the deep surge of my longing, my loneliness... and all the unspoken things that lay between us. We stood together in that spring of 1940. The world was on fire. The whine and roar of the bombers and the thudding explosions had frightened the birds. The first day of May, we watched the last of them rise from their sanctuary.
3: Look, Philip. The princess is going with them.
5: The call is strong, Frith. Almost impossible to resist... But somehow she doesn't seem as sure as usual. See how she's circling close to us.
3: I wish she'd stay. You wouldn't be so alone if she were always here.
5: The call is strong, Frith, for both you and the princess. When she flies away, I lose both of you.
3: I mustn't stay. I have to go.
5: Look up, Frith.
3: The princess. Oh, Philip, she's not going. She's circling nearer and nearer. She's coming back. The princess is going to come back.
5: Yes, she is coming back. And this time to stay, always. The lost princess is lost no more. This is her home now, of her own free will.
3: Of her own free will? Of her own free will?
5: Yes, my dearest. Don't go, Frith. We need you, the princess and I.
3: Philip, no. No, I cannot. I I must go. I'm glad the princess is going to stay. You will not be so alone now. Goodbye. Goodbye,
5: Philip. Goodbye, Frith.
3: At first I had been afraid of Philip Ryder because I had heard such strange tales before I ever saw him. I will never forget the day that I walked along the seawall with the wounded snow goose in my arms and stopped frightened at sight of the dark figure that appeared at the door. I saw a man, a hunchback with his left arm crippled and thin and bent at the wrist like the claw of a bird. But when he spoke, his voice was deep and gentle. And my fears vanished when I found that he loved very greatly man and all nature. He did not know how to hate his heart was filled with understanding. He had been driven into seclusion by his failure to find anywhere a return of the warmth that flowed from him. It was some months later when Philip and I sailed back to the lighthouse after getting supplies in town. It was amazing to watch him handle his fast 16-foot sailing boat with his strong right hand on the tiller and in a brisk wind the rope clenched between his teeth. As we disembarked, I noticed that Philip was strangely quiet. What is it, Philip?
5: It's nothing, child.
3: It's the war, isn't it? It's that you feel you cannot do anything. That you cannot serve with your fellow men... ...fighting for a land that you love very deeply. Isn't that it?
5: There are some things Providence never intended me to do.
3: That Providence which is handicapped... ...will show you what to do. If it doesn't... ...there is no God.
5: I'll never say that, Frith. If there were no God... There would not be anywhere the beauty that is all around us now.
3: I was very young, but an age-old instinct told me that here was a man whose heart was breaking because he could not serve in an angry world. I left him sadly, and it was more than three weeks later before I returned to give him the news that was on every tongue of a British army trapped on the sands of Dunkirk, a hundred miles across the sea. A British army huddled helplessly, awaiting certain destruction. I could see the light of Philip's lantern down by his little wharf. And as I approached, I saw that he was loading supplies into his sailboat. Water and food, bottles of brandy and a spare sail. He was pale, but his dark eyes were glowing with excitement. I knew at once that he had heard the call for help and that here at last was something he could do.
5: Hello, Frith.
3: Philip, are you going away?
5: Frith, I am glad you came. Yes, I must go away. I must go away now. It's only a little trip. I'll come back. Where must you go? Dunkirk.
3: Dunkirk? In such a small boat, Philip?
5: Yes, I know. But our government has called any kind of craft that floats to head across the sea and haul our men off the beaches.
3: But, Philip, you can't carry more than six men. And for a hundred miles each way, it's impossible.
5: They don't need to be taken far owner to the transports and destroyers that can't reach the shallows. I can make many trips of that distance with six or even seven men at a time.
3: Philip, I know how much you want to go, but I'm so afraid. In that little boat, you'll never come back. Philip, you'll never come back. Please don't go.
5: Frith, listen to me. Men are huddled on the beaches like hunted birds. Over them fly the steel peregrines, hawks and falcons, made of steel, Frith, and each one brimful of destruction. Our men have no shelter from these iron birds of prey. They are lost and storm-driven and harried like the lost princess you found and brought out of the marshes many years ago. They need help, my dear, just as our wild creatures have needed help. Don't you see, Frith? It's as you said. Providence has shown me the way to serve.
3: I stared at Philip. I couldn't believe the change in him. For the first time, he was no longer ugly or misshapen, but very beautiful. I will come with you, Philip.
5: No, Frith. Your place in the boat would cause a soldier to be left behind and another and another. No, I must go alone. Will you look after the birds until I return?
3: God speed you. I will take care of the birds. God speed, Philip.
5: Goodbye, Frith. God bless you. Goodbye.
3: Goodbye. I stood on the seawall and watched the sail gliding down the swollen estuary. Suddenly from the darkness behind me there came a rush of wings and something swept past me in the air. In the night light I saw the thrust forward head of the snow goose flashing down the winding creek where Philip's sail was slanting in the gaining breeze to fly above him in slow, wide circles. Watch over him. Watch over him.
4: I tell you, it was a goose. Jockey seed it, same as me. Go I don't believe it. God's truth. I'd never be sitting here drinking this glass of beer if it wasn't for that bird and him that was with it. Him? Who are you talking about? Tell him what happened, Alf. Well, it come flying down out of the muck and stink and smoker Dunkirk that was overhead. It was white, with black on its wings, and it circles us like a blooming dive bomber. And while we're looking up at it, round the bend comes as pretty a little sailboat as you ever saw. The bloke sailing her looks like he's out on a pleasure spin on a Sunday afternoon. There he sits in the stern sheets, holding the rope in his teeth. His teeth? Yes, with his good hand on the tiller and the crooked one waving to us to come. Angel of Death, come for us! And it's a ruddy goose come over from home with a message from Churchill. And now we enjoying the blooming bathing.
5: I can take seven at a time. Come along, you men. Listen to him there. A blooming angel
4: of mercy. Don't talk, Lord. Come on, get in your feet and let's go.
5: All right, lads. Now, one at a time. Here, over the side. That's better.
6: We thought it was the angel of death herself when we saw that goose. What's she doing here?
5: Oh, that's the princess. She lives with me. She sticks to you like she'd known you for a lifetime. She very nearly has. She was lost once. She knows how it feels. (laughs)
4: Well, he brought us out all right. And then we watched him make trips all afternoon and all night too. <laughs> he was still going when we left and he he waved us goodbye, the bird with him. A <laughs> darn good man he was. Another half
6: pint, please, miss.
7: Half a mo, Tommy. I'll get it.
6: That's a good yarn, mate. I can tell you the end of it. Yes? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. I was in that show too. Our tugboat was on its third trip back, loaded down with soldiers when our skipper sees a derelict boat off the starboard bow. We goes off course to have a look, and we finds this here goose sitting on the gunnel, guarding a man's dead body in the bottom of the boat. Struth. Unchback he was. Just then there's a shout from the bridge, and not 30 feet off the port beam is floating the biggest, juiciest mine you've ever looked at. Now, if we'd kept on our course, we'd have piled right into it. Well, we blew up the mine with rifle fire... And when we looked back, the derelict was gone. The explosion knocked her off and the chap with her. But that bird, well, it got up, circled three times like a plane saluting and took off. Queer it was. Give us all a turn. Lucky thing for us, we went over to have a look, eh?
5: Yes, lads. It was lucky you saw her. But that wasn't just a goose. That was the snow goose... ...flying straight to the lighthouse... ...to Frith... ...standing on the seawall... ...waiting. Waiting. Waiting. Yes,
3: waiting but I knew that he was never coming back. I had stayed and roamed alone on the great marsh. I had found the picture that Philip had painted of me when I was still a child with an injured bird in my arms. Through the canvas I could see his love shining like a pure white light. And so that sunset, when I heard the high-pitched, well-remembered note in the heavens, it brought no instant of false hope to me. As my eyes lifted to the sky from whose flaming arches plummeted the lost princess, the sight broke the dam within me and released the surging, overwhelming truth of my love. Wild spirit called to wild spirit, and I seemed to be flying with that great bird, soaring with it in the evening sky and hearkening to Philip's message.
5: Frith, Frith, my love, My love.
3: I love you, Philip. I love you. Godspeed. Goodbye, Philip. Godspeed.
5: Remember, Frith, as the snow goose needed help, so all the world needs help. It was you who gave me faith. Until Providence showed me the way to serve. Keep faith, my darling. Keep faith forever. Goodbye, my frith. Goodbye.
0: We are in the wonderful world of radio kidnappers. On ra- this kidnappers' kids on radio kidnappers, the voice of Hawks Bay, with lots of other fantastic shows, song shows, talking shows—you name it—they're all there. But this one is stories and poems and things. And here, as I have promised, the continuing epic of Happy the Caterpillar. Today, Happy the Caterpillar wakes up hungry. Happy is very a very small caterpillar sitting on a very big leaf, wondering what is there for me to eat. Happy looks all around, and Happy looks up high, but does not see anything to eat. I wonder, do you know what Happy could eat? What? Do you mean he should look down? Huh. Funnily enough, then Happy looks down at the very big leaf. Hmm. Happy goes all the way to one end of the very big green leaf and carefully takes... A little, teeny, tiny, small bite. Then, chewing slowly, thinking how much it tastes good, Happy eats. Then Happy eats some more. And then Happy eats some more. And slowly, for the rest of the morning... Happy nibbles his way along, and eats the whole very big leaf. Now, the start of the morning, Happy was a very small caterpillar. Happy's not a very small caterpillar anymore. He's now getting to be a bigger caterpillar. And he's not quite so hungry as he was earlier. So now Happy is even more happier. That's it for today. We'll find out some more adventures, and the marvellous adventures, the extraordinary adventures of our friend, Happy the Caterpillar. Maybe he'll find a friend. Who knows? But anyway, next up we have the little engine that could...
8: Chugging with the circus train in tow.
4: The circus has to get to town, so hear that engine go.
9: He's gotta get there, he's gotta get there, he's gotta get there today. He's gotta get there, he's gotta get there, there can be
4: no delay. The people all are waiting to see the greatest show.
9: He's gotta get there, he's gotta get there, so hear his whistle blow. So hear his whistle
8: blow Yes, the people were all waiting for the little engine to pull the circus train into town And all went well with the little engine and the long train of gaily colored circus cars Until, halfway to the town where they were going, they came to a steep hill The little engine tried his best to pull the heavy train up the hill
3: It's awful steep, it's awful steep, it's awful steep
8: But the load was too heavy
3: It's much too steep, it's much too steep, it's much too steep
8: And the whole train slid back down the hill
3: It's much too steep, it's much too steep
8: The little engine knew that he must have help So he unhooked himself from the train and went back down the track alone.
3: I must have help, I must have help, I must have help, I must have help, I must have help.
8: Finally, he came to a big, strong steam engine standing on a siding. The little engine asked, ''Will you please help me pull my train of cars over the hill?'' The train is so long and so heavy, I just can't do it myself. The big engine refused. He'd just been all scrubbed and polished, and his fire was out. He didn't want to get all dirty and steamed up again. The little steam engine was disappointed, but not discouraged, as he continued on down the track.
3: I will get help, 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 I will get help. help.
8: Soon, he came to a second big steam engine, standing on a siding, puffing and blowing out steam. Again, the little engine asked for help. Please, will you help me? I can't pull my train over the hill by myself, and I would appreciate your help. The big engine puffed and blew. He'd just come in from a long run, and he was all out of breath. He was too tired to help the little engine pull his train over the hill. So off again went the little engine in search of help.
3: I'll find someone. I'll find someone. I'll find someone. I'll find someone.
8: And find someone he did. A little engine just like himself, and this little engine was anxious to help. He was even more anxious to help when he found out that they had a circus train to get over the hill so the people could see the show. So the two little steam engines went back to where the circus train had been standing all this time. One little engine went to the head of the train to pull and the other little engine went to the rear to push. When they both were ready, one signaled to the other. And the other little engine answered. Then off they started, headed for the hill. Slowly, the train of cars started to move. Then faster. Then they started up the hill. Slowly but steadily, they climbed the hill. And as they climbed, our little engine began to puff.
3: I think I can, I think I can, I think
8: I can. I and I over can, the I hill could, he I went. I
3: could, I, I could, I thought 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 I could. The circus did arrive
9: in time, as every circus
4: should. When put to the test, he did his best, the
8: little engine that could.
0: Always be ready to give fun new things a go. Yes, and the little engine that could, did. This is Dexter. This is Radio Kidnappers. Kidnappers, kids. Hope you're having a fantastic day out there today. The weather's been a bit funny lately. Funny wet, funny hot, funny sticky, funny weird. Not funny ha-ha. Well, maybe a bit funny ha-ha if you like running around in the rain. And so now we've got another story, The Three Little Pigs.
7: Once upon a time, in a faraway land, lived a fat old sow with a grumpy old face. She had three little pigs who lived at home, who scruffled and ruffled and played in the mud. The fat old sow grew tired of their scruffling and ruffling. I don't know, she said. You never do anything for me. It's time you left. And sent the three little pigs on their way into the wide world to seek their fortunes. "'You've lived at home far too long,' she said as she shooed them away from the garden gate. "'And the three little pigs set off sadly down the road "'with their short curly tails between their legs. "'But soon they enjoyed the thought of their own freedom, their own homes. "'I'm going to build a house of straw,' said the first little pig. "'And I'm going to build a house of sticks,' said the second. Well, I'm going to build a house of bricks, said the third little pig. I don't want to be eaten by the big bad wolf. The first two little pigs laughed at him. (gasps) Oh, the big bad wolf. (laughs) There's no big bad wolf. And off they went to build their homes. But sure enough, a big bad wolf did come out of the forest first little pig had just finished his house of straw with a lovely bracken window and a door of leaves it was all warm and snugly inside but just as the little piggy sat down for his tea a voice came from outside little pig little pig let me come in it was the wolf outside the little pig was scared and called back Not by the hair on my chinny-chin-chin. Little pig, little pig, let me come in, said the wolf louder this time, or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. Not by the hair on my chinny-chin-chin, said the little pig, getting a little bit frightened. So the wolf stood up and drew in his breath, and he huffed and he puffed and he blew his house down. And the little pig ran for his life. Deeper in the forest, he found another house made of sticks that the second little pig had built. ''My house has gone and I'm alone,'' called the first pig. ''Can I come and hide from the big bad wolf?'' The second pig let him into his new house, a beautiful house made of sticks, with a hazel window and a sycamore door, and heard the story of the big bad wolf that had come out of the forest. The old wolf had followed the first little pig stealthily through the forest and thought to himself now i shall have two little piggies for my dinner he called out little pig little pig let me come in but the two little pigs were not going to open the door not by the hair of my chinny chin chin they called back to the wolf Little pig, little pig, let me come in, said the wolf louder again, or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. Not by the hair on my chinny-chin-chin, said the little pigs, getting really frightened this time. Again the wolf stood up on his legs and drew in an even bigger breath. And he huffed and he puffed and he blew the house down two little pigs ran for their lives even deeper into the forest. There, hiding under some beautiful trees, was a little brick house with windows of stone and a door of oak, with a little chimney that puffed a little wisp of smoke. Our houses are gone and we are alone, said the two little pigs. Can we come in and hide from the big bad wolf? The third little pig was pleased to see his two brothers, safe and sound, and he welcomed them into his lovely house. Didn't I tell you to watch out? said the third little pig. (laughs) You're safe here with me. No wolf will blow my house down. It's made of brick with a strong door of oak. But the wolf had followed the first two little pigs stealthily through the forest. "'Now I shall have three little pigs for my dinner,' he thought to himself. "'Little pig, little pig, let me come in!' he called out to the little pigs inside, who he could just see beyond the window, huddled together by the fireside. "'Not by the hair on my chinny-chin-chin!' called out the third little pig. "'You'll not come in here, you'll never get in! Not by the hair on my chinny-chin-chin!' "'Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in,' said the old wolf again, "'or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down,' "'said the wolf, licking his nasty lips. "'You'll not come in here! You'll never get in! "'Not by the hair on my chinny-chin-chin!' "'So the wolf stood up again and drew in the biggest breath that he could, "'and he huffed and he puffed to blow the house down!' "'But when he looked the house was still there you'll not come in here you'll never get in not by the hair on my chinny chin chin said the third little pig again so the wolf stood up once more and huffed and puffed and huffed and puffed the oak door strained at its hinges but the house stood fast "'You'll not come in here! You'll never get in! "'Not by the hair on my chinny-chin-chin!' "'The pig said again, laughing this time, "'with the other two pigs joining in. (laughs) "'Ha-ha-ha! Not by the hair on my chinny-chin-chin! ha (laughs) ha "'The wolf stepped back and thought again of his dinner, "'as now, with all that huffing and puffing, "'he was getting very hungry. "'Then I'll climb in your house and catch you inside!' "'He called out, seeing a branch that could get him onto the roof. "'Up he climbed, and onto the chimney he went.' Coming to get you, he bellowed down the echoey chimney. This time the little pig squealed with fright. Stoke up the fire, said the first little pig. Put on the kettle, said the second. Draw me some water, said the third little pig. And just as the wicked wolf climbed into the chimney, he'd lost his grip and fell all the way down into the boiling kettle below. So instead of the big bad wolf, eating the three little pigs for his dinner you'll never guess what the three little pigs had for theirs and from that day on the three little pigs lived happily and safely together scruffling and ruffling away in their own back garden scruffling and
0: Thank you so much for listening to, to Kidnapper's Kids today. So you have a fantastic week. We'll catch you next time. And don't forget, be kind to one another. ta for now.
10: Many years ago, there lived a young lad named Jim Hawkins. His mother ran a hotel where an old sea captain lived. One day the old sea captain, named Billy Bones, called Jim
9: Hawkins to his side. Jim, me lad, in the old sea chest in the corner of my room, you'll find a map. It's a map of pirate's treasure buried on Treasure Island. I'm too old to ever sail the seas again. Take this map and seek your fortune.
10: It was a wonderful day that Jim Hawkins set sail for Treasure Island. All the men on board were singing a real pirate song. Fifteen men on a
9: dead man's chest, yo ho, and a bottle of rum. Fifteen men on a dead man's chest, yo ho, and a bottle of rum. Yo ho, yo ho, a sailing we will go. Fifteen men on a dead man's chest, yo ho, and a bottle of rum.
10: Captain Smollett, the good captain of the ship, set a course for the South Seas. And what with a blue sky above and a brisk wind to fill the sails, things look fine indeed. The salt air made young Jim a little hungry, so he went below and crawled into a big barrel of apples. He had just picked out a nice red one when he heard voices, so he ducked down and listened.
9: Long John Silver is my name, I'm fear all over the bounding main. I'm a pirate bowl and I steal your gold. Long John Silver is my name. Well, me hearties, just leave everything to old John Silver. As soon as that lad Jim Hawkins gets us to Treasure Island, we'll seize the ship and put an end to them. Aye. <laughs> you may lay to that, me Buckles.
4: Oh, we're with you, Long John.
10: Young Jim Hawkins was so scared he held his breath. As soon as Long John Silver and the pirates left, he ran to find the captain.
3: Captain Smollett! Captain Smollett! Come here! Come here, sir!
8: Hi there, lad. What's the trouble?
3: Oh, it's just awful, sir. Long John Silver's planning to steal a treasure, and he said, he said... There,
9: there, Jim. Now, what was it he said?
3: Oh, sir, he said he'd grab the treasure and put an end to us.
9: Don't worry, Jim. We'll take care of Long John Silver.
3: Land ho on the starboard!
9: Treasure Island! Land ho! Fifteen men on a dead man's chest, your ho and a bottle of rum. Fifteen men on a dead man's chest, your ho and a bottle of rum.
10: When the ship reached Treasure Island, Captain Smollett called together the loyal men who were not with the pirates, and they all went ashore in the ship's longboat. As they pulled away from the ship, they could hear the pirates singing:
9: They're outnumbered three to one, yo-ho, and a bottle of rum. They're outnumbered three to one, yo-ho, and a bottle of rum!
3: Look, look, Captain Smollett! They're going to fire the ship's cannon at us! <laughs> Gosh, that was close.
9: Stand by to come ashore and take cover in that stockade just over the hill.
10: By the time Captain Smollett and his crew reached the stockade, Long John Silver and the pirates had come ashore and the fight was soon begun. All night, the battle raged with the sound of muskets and steel filling the air as they fought for their lives. Jim Hawkins was so tired from loading muskets and passing them to his friends that he thought the day would never end. Finally, by the next morning, Long John Silver and his men gave up the fight and surrendered to Captain Smollett.
9: When Long John saw that he had lost the fight, he tried to make a bargain. Shiver my timbers. Mateys, you fought me fair and square. And to show you I'm not such a bad sort, I'll help you find the treasure. So Captain
10: Smollett and Long John Silver joined forces and together they set out to find the treasure. When they reached the spot marked on the map, an awful thing happened.
9: Lost my wooden leg. It's nothing but a hole in the ground. Someone stole the treasure.
10: Jim Hawkins felt so bad he almost cried. As everyone was about to go back to the ship, they heard someone laughing. (laughs) When they turned around, there stood an old man with a long white
9: beard. (laughs) I know where the treasure is. Who are you? Where did you come from? I'm Old Ben Gunn. I'm Old Ben Gunn. The treasure I have found. I'm Old Ben Gunn. I'm Old Ben Gunn. I dug it from the ground. Just follow me and you will see just where the treasure lies. I'm Old Ben Gunn. I'm Old Ben Gunn. The treasure I have found.
10: (laughs) So they followed Old Ben Gunn across the island to a cave where he had hidden the treasure.
3: Captain Smart, it is the treasure. All the gold and silver in the whole world must be here.
9: Hi that it is, lad. There's enough gold and silver to last us for the rest of our lives.
10: With the treasure safely stored on board ship, Jim Hawkins, Captain Smollett, Long John Silver, and even old Ben Gunn set sail for home.
9: Sailing, sailing, soon we'll be sailing home. We'll take the treasure with us and we never more will roam. Sailing, sailing, all of our men so true. we we'll share the pirates, laser eats, each will get
0: what he is due. This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay Voices on Air.